Oh, right. I forgot. I have a podcast I got to do. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful. Hang on, water break. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening, this is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around. I'm back. I didn't die. I uh, just took a short, unplanned break, as I sometimes have to do. It's not even like a matter of not having things to say or not wanting to do the podcast or anything. It was just a last Friday. I kind of lost track of the week that that happens. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I slip into a void in space time and, you know, things just kind of, uh, Ooh, things get a little crazy out there. So I'm like, well, you know what? Uh, They've only got a two game series against the Cardinals. Probably not going to be much more to talk about anyway. uh, After that. So I'll just, I'll just skip it and wait until Monday. And then Monday happened, and I really did start to do the podcast, but then I just lost all physical energy on that morning for whatever reason. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to put out a crap episode where I'm just stumbling over my words much more than I usually do. Yeah, I don't want to subject y'all to that. So I just, you know, took that one off as well. Sorry. Go Menasai, if you really missed me. There actually were a couple of people who reached out like, dude, where, where's the podcast? What's going on? I'm like, oh, man, people listen to this? I, I had no idea. I didn't know people looked forward to this. Well, thank you very much. Although I will admit that I almost missed this day as well because I spent basically all of yesterday building a desk. It took way longer than it really should have, and it was a whole saga, frankly. Um, it's done now. I now have a desk. For the first time ever. I did not have a desk earlier. So I'm really excited to be embarking on this new chapter of my life. Very exciting stuff right here. Anyway, let's talk about the Royals, because the Royals are really interesting right now. They are, I mean, they're they're always an interesting team. They're always a fascinating team. And uh, lately, they haven't been winning games, so to speak, but they have been playing better, if that makes sense. It's weird. We're going to talk about the uh, second half improvements that this team has shown, even if the record doesn't necessarily show it. And, you know, wins and losses are the most important numbers of all. There are still some other numbers and plenty of names that really stand out that have made the Royals a much more watchable team over the last couple of weeks at the very least. But we've also got lots of roster moves that we got to talk about. We got to catch up to all of that stuff that they did over the last couple of weeks since I, you know, lasted a podcast. It's been so long since I last did this show that the Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson fight happened after my last episode. Can you believe it? That feels like it was a month ago already. It was. It wasn't. It was only a couple weeks ago. But like. Just now, Tim Anderson, like, released his own statement about it, and he's serving as a suspension, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's still going on. <laughs> it's been that long. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, we got to catch up to roster changes that have been made, because there have been lots of really interesting shakeups, and I'd like to talk about them, of course, and then we're going to talk about some, I don't know, let's, let's say future deals, I guess. Let's put it at that. 
We're going to talk about extending Bobby Wood Jr. Let's just let's just let's just you know not even beat around the bush with that. Everyone's talking about it, so I'm going to talk about it too. And then we've got a three-game series against the Chicago Cubs this weekend, so we'll preview that. So let's go over these roster moves because again, there is quite a few of them that we uh, missed. Oh, there's actually one other thing I want to mention, um, and it's the oh I'll get to it whenever when you, we get to that. Okay. So the first one was all the way on like August 8th or so, and it's that Taylor Hearn is now in Kansas City, and he replaced Zach Greinke, who went to the 15-day injured list with right posterior elbow soreness. So I believe that's the the back of the elbow. Um, No strong feelings about this, frankly. Zach Greinke has been a, a little bit hard to watch, admittedly. Um, but, you know, there is something kind of sad about this and it's the fact that he was actually on pace for 3000 strikeouts like i'm not kidding there's someone on a uh, casey royals a subreddit that i moderate they posted like zach Greinke's games and how many strikeouts he had there's there's someone like, who's like been keeping track of all the zach Greinke strikeouts and his road to 3k and they bas- and he basically said that assuming Greinke got like eight more starts from his last start and struck out or like 5.6 batters like five and a half batters he would reach 3000 he would he would reach 3000 exactly on that last start well he has a strikeout per 9 rate this season of 5.9 he was doing it. he was on pace he was going to get there and now he's going to miss a couple starts so uh probably not going to be a super long IL stint but even if he does come back and make a few more starts it's unfortunately not entirely likely that he's going to be able to catch up to um you know to the to the 3000 pace although i do think it's funny that he has the same amount of strikeouts right now for this season that he did last season he struck out 30 he struck out 73 last year and he so far has struck out 73 this year that's kind of a uh, interesting so might be off the table for 3k sag you know, I said this. I, I kind of expected that to happen, though. Like, I'm not, like Zach Granke would be the type of guy to finish with like two thousand nine hundred ninety or something. So uh, it is what it is. Hope he make, hope he makes it back. I still hope we can kind of a uh, you know give him a a fond farewell for uh, such a decorated career, such a legendary Royal Hall of Fame guy. Would be cool. Uh, it's never fun, you know, to see guys get injured. Although you know there are worse ways to go out. We uh you know had that two game series against the Cardinals where we just. <laughs> Like, destroyed a man's entire will to live, basically. Adam Wainwright, just, holy crap. <laughs> like, like seriously, that, we won't talk about the Cardinal series too much or, or anything, but, like, holy crap, that was maybe the worst pitching I've ever seen from a non-position player. I mean, dude's throwing, like, 88 mile an hour fastballs in the heart of the zone it's like what are you doing man that that three to one pitch to bobby like that that hanging curve oh my god that was just like that was the worst pitch i've ever seen just ridiculous i mean cool for cool for us because you know means bobby Wood jr hit a home run means the means the royals had a nice offensive explosion which they really needed because their uh pitching is <sighs> trying to whistle uh but it's really bad but anyway, Taylor Hearn is a guy that we got from the Nicky Lopez trade. Um, you know, the Nicky Lopez who is now um uh like the best player ever. Did you guys know that Nicky Lopez hit a home run? <laughs> Nicky Lopez hasn't hit a home run in 2 years. 
And his first game where he, he hits for the Braves, he hits one into the upper deck. Look, I told y'all something was up. Like, I, I, I was not buying into JJ saying, oh, there were no other trade deals. It was either trade him to the Braves or Taylor Hearn or literally nothing else. I'm like, there's no way. Something's wrong. The Braves do not just randomly ask for players. There is something wrong here. <sighs> well, I've complained about this freaking trade for so long. I might as well stop. Taylor Hearn, uh, you know what? I'm just not even going to comment on anything. He hasn't been good so far, so whatever. <laughs> Expectations are low, but yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, other stuff to talk about. Let's talk about uh, actually good trades that we made. Nelson Velasquez is in Kansas City, and he replaced Drew Waters, who went on the bereavement list. Uh, This was on August 10th. Drew Waters came back on the 13th. And here's the thing. This is what I really, really like. Nelson Velasquez, when he was called up, he played two games. He hit a home run in both games. Awesome. Fantastic. And so, when Drew Waters came back, it wasn't Velasquez who got optioned. It was Edward Olivares. Edward Olivares was optioned to AAA on August 13th. And I love that. I actually really like that move by JJ. I like that move by the Royals because that is not a move that they make one year ago, two years ago, five years ago, etc. 2021, we were always complaining. Edward Olivares getting optioned to AAA, you know, happening happening so much. Like it, it, it literally did not matter what this guy did on the field. The Royals would refuse to keep him on the roster because they would rather have Gerard Dyson. They're like, hey, you know, you're a young prospecting player who's, you know, playing really well, but we'd rather have Gerard Dyson on this roster because, you know, we like Gerard Dyson personally. Gerard Dyson, we 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 want to pretend that people are coming to the stadium to watch Gerard Dyson. Remember 2015? So that's how the Royals always operated. But now you get a young prospecting player who comes up and shows off some pretty good stuff. Hits two home runs in two games. Great. So they actually reward him by keeping him on the roster. They don't, like, sit him down in the manager's office and go over the roster like he's a freaking idiot and say, oh, well, we just can't fit you on here because we've got a guy who hitting 217 on the bench or something. You know, no. They're just like, okay, this guy's playing well. We're going to keep playing him. Edward Olivares, on the other hand, has not been playing well. There was kind of a saga on this podcast where every time I complained about Edward Olivares, he would play better. And then when I when I complimented him, he would play worse. I kind of dropped that. I really forgot about it, but I, maybe I should have complained about him more because he has not been playing well. Um, I was hoping he would be traded. He wasn't. And now it just looks like he's going to be a, a non-tender candidate this offseason, frankly, because he doesn't have quite enough of a bat like you know there was maybe some promise over the season there were some flashes but I just never really bought into it frankly I really it was really one of those things where it's like okay you know if he hits well fine like I'll I'll accept that that'd be cool but I'm just whenever he did hit well in games I'm just like "Uh, is this for real I don't I don't really trust it and then his outfield defense was so horrible it's like this is this is unplayable unless he hits really really well so he hasn't um so the royals did the right move here they did the right move it's it's unfortunate for ollie because he's been 
on the suffering end both times. In 2021, he gets told, no, you can't play because we have an old veteran that we'd rather have on the roster instead. And then in 2023, he gets told, well, you're an old veteran that, you know, everybody knows and kind of likes, but we have a young player who we want to have instead. He just, man just cannot win, dude. Royals really messed up with this guy, I think. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes off to another team and just, like, rakes. I feel like the Royals would deserve that, frankly. But whatever. They also, on the same day as this option, claimed Bubba Thompson off of waivers. He is a former first-round pick. He's an outfielder from the Rangers organization. Okay, I'm not the first person to make this joke. I know. So, um, but I, I really do have to, it really does spin the gears in my brain. I'm just thinking, is there something going on here? Is Dayton Moore slipping some players on the side for JJ? Like, psst, hey, JJ, get this guy. We'll give him to you for free. They got Taylor Hearn. They got Bubba Thompson. They got Cole Reagans. They got Joe Barlow. They got all these dudes from the Rangers organization this season. Like, I don't know. There is some kind of Texas to KC pipeline happening right there. Not that I really mind because, you know, young players who have some kind of skill. Like, I, I don't know if Bubba Thompson is going to be anything. But, you know, I've talked about those the, these waiver wire pickups before. They're probably going to be nothing. But you might as well try them because it's free real estate. Literally, it's free. Just get this guy. Maybe he can become something. Oh, especially given that the, this is a this team, the Rangers are a competitive team right now. They're they're not in the business of trying out new things and seeing what happens, what sticks. They're like, no, we need to win games. So we're going to have players who immediately win games right now. And so that causes some other players to slip through the cracks. Nelson Velasquez is another example. Nelson Velasquez was blocked. By the Chicago Cubs. He's the guy that we got from the Jose Quas trade. We got him from the Chicago Cubs, who were playing this weekend, incidentally. And uh, there just wasn't any room in their in their roster for him, in their lineup for him. Because they got Ian Happ. They got Cody Bellinger, who's, like, amazing this season for some reason. And then Seiya Suzuki. Their outfield is complete. They don't need another outfielder. So that's probably how the Royals were able to land such a such a banger pickup, such a banger trade. It's like, oh, there was something there. That that team that's competing right now, they just didn't have the time to wait and see if they could, you know, draw it out. So it is what it is. So a uh, nice waiver pickup by the Royals again. I think they should do more of that, but good start. And also, uh, before any of this happened, actually, uh, before Drew Waters came back and all that, Max Castillo was brought up to Casey on August 12th, and he replaced Jonathan Heasley. I'm going to be honest, I have no strong opinion of either of these pitchers. I think Jonathan Heasley, I think it's kind of over for him. Uh, just hasn't been good all season. Hasn't really been all that great in general, but eh. And that's kind of the same with Max Castillo, although he's been marginally usable. Like, he's been that up-and-down guy where he just tosses a few innings whenever we need a new get to, to get a new guy out in here, you know, uh, save the bullpen some some labor, I suppose. It just, uh, yeah, I just have no strong feelings about either of these guys. So, um... Then on August 16th, John McMillan was brought up to Kansas City. Now, this guy's real interesting. He's a reliever who was called up from double A. He was he actually did not play for the Omaha Storm Chasers ever. 
He was brought out of double A. But that's kind of amazing. It's actually not only amazing that he's making the jump from double A to the majors, but also he started the season in Columbia. He started the season in single A Columbia after being stuck there for two years. In, in, in 2021, he started in rookie ball for a little bit, then went up to, 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 uh, to a low A. And then he's just stayed there the entire season in 2022. 6.1 ERA in 31 innings. 26 appearances. Just terrible, frankly. Uh, had a nice strikeout rate. 13, striking out 13 batters per 9 innings. Also, walking 11 <laughs> batters per 9 innings. So, that's interesting. But something really clicked within him this season. Because, I don't know. I guess this new Royals philosophy of... Bro, throw strikes. Actually worked because he's continuing to strike out batters a lot, and he's not walking batters a whole lot. At AA Northwest Arkansas, he's striking out 13.1 batters per nine, like he usually does, and only walking 4.8. Okay, I say only. That's actually a lot. There's a lot right there, but it's not as it's not not as bad. It's manageable if you at least strike out that many guys. His minor league stats for this season across all levels, 2.1 ERA in 37 appearances, 51.1 innings pitched, 4.4 walks per nine, 16 strikeouts per nine. So like I said, you can kind of afford to walk that many guys if you strike out that many guys because he's he's uh, got a strikeout to walk ratio of 3.64, which is not too bad. Ironically, he only gave up one home run at the minor league level this entire season, and then in his uh, MLB debut yesterday, he he gave up a home run. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. But I like this move a lot. I actually like that the Royals are just, they looked at how bad their bullpen is right now. They're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go get, like, one of the good relievers in our system, even if they're not, you know, quote-unquote major league ready as in you know playing in omaha with a really good era or something let's just let's just cut to the chase and get a guy that we think is going to be good at some point anyway just just get him in there so you know what i i I really like that they called up john mcmillan i think that's great um he replaced nick whitgren he was optioned to triple a omaha apparently he still had an option uh and uh but he i guess is old or veteran enough to be able to just say Actually, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> so he became a free agent instead. All right. Best of luck. I have no strong feelings about this guy, so whatever. And uh, also, on the same day, in like the same move... Oh, actually, because... Well, wait. I was going to say John McMillan would have to replace this guy on the IL. Okay. You know what? I'm, I had like some weird tangle in my brain right there. The, the point is, I wanted to say that also... Brad Keller was put on the 60-day IL, which opens up a 40-man spot, and I thought that that's where John McMillan went, but then they also removed a 40-man spot by having Nick Whitgren elect for free agency. So maybe they just have one open. I don't know. But, um, yeah, Brad Keller went on the 60-day injured list. Interesting. There are less than 60 days left in the season, so he's gone. Uh, I see lots of people, people like, question this. Like, why would Brad Keller go on? Like, why even put him on the injured list and not just cut him outright? And honestly, simple answer. Optics. It's just a, a nicer thing to do. Look, the Royals are spending that salary money anyway. It's, it's gone. So, 
they're probably just like, hey, you know, this guy's been around. He's been in this organization for six years. And, you know, he's been a nice guy. So we don't want to, you know, seem, I don't know, disrespectful by just DFAing him or something like that or whatever. We'll just put him on the I.L., say goodbye that way, uh, give him a, a quiet farewell where we can just say, well, unfortunate stuff happened and then it just didn't work out. It is what it is. I don't know what's going to happen with this guy moving forward. I wish him the best. Um, sorry things went so wrong after 2020. I don't know. Weird. Kind of a shame, though. We thought Brad Keller was going to be like a mainstay in the rotation for at least a while. Not just a couple of years. Anyway, Jackson Kowar was also brought up to KC on August 17th. He replaced James MacArthur once again. Two pitchers I have no strong feelings of, so that's about it. That's the last of the uh, roster moves right there. Although I did want, I actually forgot to mention that uh, the way we acquired John McMillan is really interesting. He was not a guy that was drafted. He, okay, technically he was. He was drafted in the 21st round of the 2016 draft, and then in the 11th round of the 2019 draft, but he decided to go back to college after that. And then um, that turned out to not be a great idea because 2020 happened. And then 2020 only had five rounds in the draft. So everyone else that wasn't drafted became a free agent who could only be signed for like 20 grand, super low amount of money, Um, which I guess makes sense because that means teams don't get into bidding wars that, you know, the Dodgers don't just sign everybody. And the Royals actually got a pretty nice haul. They actually, they, I think they got six of these free agents. It was like the most in baseball that season. So that was pretty cool. John McMillan's one of them. John McMillan is one of those undrafted 2020 free agents that was uh, signed after that draft period. That's pretty cool. You know who else was undrafted in 2020? Where in the world is Tucker Wade Bradley? That's right, boy. <laughs> this section's back. <laughs> Tucker Bradley was also an undrafted free agent from the 2020 period. So that's uh, interesting. You know, it's been a long time since we've done this segment. I knew I had to bring this segment back. It's been so long. And I'm like, you know, I'm feeling feeling real good about the Royals right now. Let's let's get back into having fun with this. So let's do the Tucker Bradley segment. It's been like a month since we've talked about this guy. So I'm really excited to talk about whatever developments have been going on. So uh, let me get up the game logs and stuff. All right, so I, I'm going to go back to the beginning of July. How has Tucker Bradley been hitting since July 2nd? All right, 22 games, 82 plate appearances, 219 average. Oh, and he was also um, demoted to double A. Uh, also, one other thing I wanted to mention. This is like a thing I randomly inserted and then like took back or something. Anyway, uh, so the Royals had a press release, an important press release about a um, an ongoing situation where they uh, had these labor feuds negotiations. There was a union filed against the uh, the Royals in Coffin Stadium. Workers weren't getting what they felt they were worth. Big drama. And um, that's kind of been an ongoing thing that I unfortunately haven't covered because, I don't know, I'm an idiot, I guess. Or maybe I did and I just forgot. In any case, 
the Royals made a press release yesterday, I think, and they said that they reached an agreement on contracts with stadium employees. So for the next three years, Kaufman employees are going to get paid better. They're going to continue to get paid better, and they've got all these other stuff. They've got these other things going on. So that's cool. Seems like it's a nice, happy ending. But then they had to add this, like, little postscript at the end where they said, and this is word for word what they said, we have not until now responded to the union's false public characterization of our good faith negotiations with their bargaining team. We believe the outcome of these negotiations demonstrates to bargaining unit members that we value their work and shows our dedicated fans that we are committed to continuing to provide the best experience possible at Kauffman Stadium. So yeah, there was like part of the drama is that the union was saying that the Royals weren't negotiating in good faith, and then the Royals were just like, Nuh-uh! And so this is their last little, Nuh-uh! back at them. Like, okay, guys, we gave them what they want. See? We actually did negotiate in good faith. They're the meanie heads over there. It's like, it, it's kind of weird and petty. <laughs> like, it, like, it really comes off weird and petty at the end. Like, they could have just said, hey, we, we reached an agreement with the union. And it'd be like, cool, great, awesome. No, like, we won't even, we won't even think about it any more than that. But then they had to throw in that thing where it's like, by the way, just so you all know, we did literally nothing wrong. It's like, that was not the point. But, okay. Thanks for explaining, I guess. That does not come off very um genuine, frankly. Just kind of feels like they uh, took a stance they never really needed to. They got weirdly defensive about themselves there. Very strange. Um, So I guess we'll see what happens with this. I mean, cool for the workers and all. Uh, You know, I think people should be, uh, you know, compensated. Probably more than what they actually are because, you know, labor. It's really heavily exploited these days. Sorry, I kind of got like, like I, I, I like paused because I got lost in thought because I was having like a moment of reflection. <laughs> I could go off on many tangents about this, but, you know, good that this is a, has been settled. Just a little bit of a weird message that they sent at the end. So let's move on from then. Let's talk about some stuff that has happened over the last couple of weeks because the Royals have been playing baseball and they've been playing baseball not terribly, not embarrassingly. I, I So, of course, at the end of the day, most important numbers, the most important stats are the wins and losses, uh, unless you're a pitcher, in which case those are meaningless. But Royals are 39 and 84. They've gone, what, like three and nine, I think, since the, uh, since the streak. So... That streak was really cool, but then that 3-9 record is really standing out. And it's like, okay, well, that's basically the same pace that we were already on go uh, throughout most of the season, losing, you know, one, losing two out of every three games or three out of every four games. So that's not very good. But even still, it doesn't feel like the Royals have been playing all that badly, frankly. Like, like, it, like, it really doesn't. And I don't know. Can we go back to that uh, time when we were <laughs> blaming the schedule? Because, I mean, the, the, the teams that we faced lately, we got we had the series against the Phillies, which we lost two of three to. Phillies are a good team. What can you say? They went to the World Series last year. They're looking okay so far. They're not going to catch up to the Braves, but they're looking like a playoff team this season. So, can't be too mad at that. They played Boston, who's... 
like a, I don't know, borderline contender, but not terrible, I suppose. They've had some ups and downs. But the thing is, that Boston series was so strange because, like, legitimately two of those games had absolutely bizarre circumstances to them where the Royals were just unlucky. Like, truly and genuinely unlucky. This is This is so frustrating. How do I tell people seriously that the 39 and 84 team is just unlucky? Like, no guys, it's actually not that bad. They've just been really unlucky. <laughs> but like, I mean, seriously, there was that game where they got the walk-off grand slam because the umpire literally just said that the guy who swung the bat did not swing the bat. 3 and 2, he Makes a quote-unquote check swing where he very clearly crosses the plane. Anybody with eyes could see this. But I guess that this one particular game, MLB decided to employ a first base umpire without eyes. So he said, um, actually, he didn't swing. Ball for Bozo. And then, like, next pitch, Grand Slam. It's like you can't even be mad at the Royals. You can't even be mad about Carlos Hernandez. Like, 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 what do you do as a pitcher if you do something right but then get told no anyway? Like, hey, congratulations, you struck this batter out, but actually someone disagreed, so it's a walk. It's like, uh, what do I do? Where do I throw? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. So it's like, you can't even really say, oh, well, the Royals. I mean, like, like, again, the excuse would be, we'll just play better, but. It's not even like it was just bad play that lost this game. It was just a stupid umpire. I mean, there, there's no telling what would happen if that Grand Slam didn't happen. It'd, it'd go into extras or continue into extras. Wasn't an extra innings game already? Whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, they, you know, they, they could have still very well lost then, but that's just, that's literally a situation where the Royals had the game taken out of their hands right there. And then two days later, Kyle Isbell hits a ball into the light, a light in the green monster. Fenway Park has existed for almost 120 years, and that has never happened before. And it actually meant something because MJ, I believe it was MJ, was on first. He would have scored on that hit, but because it was ruled a ground rule double, or is it ground roll double? When I was a kid, I thought it was ground roll double, and I just never unlearned that. <laughs> um, so, but it, because it was a ground rule double, MJ had to stay at third. He didn't get to come around to score. And Royals lost by one. Again, maybe they would have lost anyway, but that's, that, that's like a situation where, like, what, what are you, what, how, what are you supposed to do about that? There's nothing you can do. That just happened. It's like, uh, that, it's like, a, 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 I don't know, a Marvel scene where, you're, you know, something serious happens and then you go, um, that was awkward. So then we go up against the Cardinals, who are pretty bad this season, pretty terrible, actually. And we split that because for some reason we only got to play two games against them that weekend. Eh? Uh, okay. Um, so we won one and then lost the second game by one run, so made it close. And then we had a four-game series against the Mariners, who are also kind of like maybe a fringe contender, but they've been they they've been trying. They've been getting better and they actually went into the series with like the best record in baseball over the last couple of weeks. Or one of the best records. Like they've been really good out since the All-Star break. They've been heating up. 
And so we lose three of four, but like all four of these games were nail biters. All of these were close. Two games we lost by two runs. One we lost by one run. So this is kind of what we've been hoping the Royals could at least do. Like they, they at least make it interesting against good teams. Like, like what is the worst game that they've played since the streak? What's the worst loss they've had? That two to nothing loss in, against Boston? Where they got six hits, just couldn't get a runner, uh, you know, just couldn't hit with runners in scoring position whatsoever. Like, that was a pretty bad game, I guess. That's like the worst thing they did, and they still only lost two to nothing. So, just looking at the box score, it doesn't look like that bad of a game. Um, Yeah, like, like that's the worst game that they've played, I think, in the last two weeks. I'll take that. Remember a few weeks ago, I was getting like, I was having like a nervous breakdown about how bad the team played against the Yankees. The freaking Yankees. Like, here, you, you've probably heard about the Yankees this season. The Yankees are bad. <laughs> They're below 500 this season. Like, like, it's been a, the hottest story in baseball, how awful the Yankees have been literally since that Royals series. That was the last thing that they ever did. That, that was the last series that they won. Ever since then, that's their, their series has been completely torn apart it's their the team is completely in shambles right now so yeah that was a horrible awful series and then since then it's like things have gotten better as uh they had a they had a series against cleveland where they were a little better i guess but then they had that seven game winning streak so this team really has started to turn around and like i said it, it it's what we've at least hoped this team could be which is competent enough competent looking sure it sucks that the we're that we're not winning these games but we're at least we're not oh God, at least we're not you know getting embarrassed again that the, the mariners were a hot team coming into kansas city and now they're leaving thinking oh my god that was a that was stressful who the hell were those guys that's a team that lost that's a, that's a team that is all that is already confirmed to have a losing season there's no way we can have a winning season. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry I have to break the news to you like this. I know that you were all looking forward to the Royals turning in a winning above 500 season this this uh, this year, but it's it's not happening anymore. It's Iku Yover. Even if we win out, we're only going to go 78 and 84. Oh, well. But yeah, that's a, that's a playoff team right there that's thinking, Jesus, why was that so hard? <laughs> that was really difficult. It was the freaking Royals. So we're starting to scare teams a little bit. We're starting to make them work for their wins. And that's fun. That's nice. But there is something worth mentioning, which is that there's kind of like a... I Maybe I'll call this the, the second half theorem. And it's that the, um, the Royals seem to play better in the second half of like every season. Now, the great David Lesky had like this uh, analysis of it where he actually kind of debunked it basically saying that since 2000 the royals yeah they've had some seasons where they've played better in the second half but not really a, a whole lot but i actually do think that there is a reason why people think this and it's because in 2018 they had a better second half a much better second half that year they had the first half was a two had a 284 win loss percentage they lost they went 27 and 68 and then they went 31 and 36, 463. Almost, they were almost 500 in the second half of 2018, actually. That team lost 104 games, but they almost went 500 in the second half. 2019, they had a 330 win loss percentage and then a 408 win loss percentage in the second half. 30 and 61 in the first half, 29 and 42 in the second half. So honestly, not really that much better. 
but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll count it, you know, for the sake of taking a side here. And then 2021 also, they went 36 and 53 in the first half. That's a 404 win loss percentage. And then second half, 38 and 35. They were above 500 in the second half in 2021. And even 2022, 391 in the first half, 414 in the second half. Not much of a difference, but I guess it's worth mentioning. So you can at least see the logic here that the Royals do tend to play better in the second half of the season, as of late. However, this is different. This is a different second half Royals team. Because unlike those past seasons, we're not looking at veterans or otherwise unproven players to help us out with this season. Like, 2018, who who was on that roster in 2018? A bunch of guys that were just getting called up just getting their their toes wet in the majors. And, you know, Whit Merrifield, obviously. Whit Merrifield was on that team. So good for him. But then, actually, the best hitter technically on the team was... who You want, you want to know who had the, the highest OPS plus in the, in, in the season in 2018 for the Royals? Ryan O'Hearn. 154 OPS plus. Because he hit 12 home runs in 44 games. So that helped out a lot. And then you got guys like Heath Fillmeyer posting an above average ERA plus in that second half of the season, 82 innings, 4.26 ERA. It's like you 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 get some notable performances from guys that you have never heard of, guys that you never really expect to actually be good, and it turns out in the long term, they're not good players. 2021 is probably the most relevant second half push because who were the standout performers in 2021 salvi hitting 48 home runs great are you going to expect him to do that every season eh. nicky lopez having a six war season yeah he, he he's not doing that all that often Whit merrifield was still good then andrew benintendi michael a taylor all the all, all these guys you know guys that and i'm not even trying to take away from anybody but my point is that these past second half successes were not built to last. They were built on spare parts, expendable parts, guys that didn't have much longer with guys that wouldn't be expected to be around much longer with the team because they're older veterans and probably uh, you know, going to leave pretty soon or they're just having they're just having a good day. They're just having a good season. They were on a tear, but you can't really count on them to, you know, continue doing that going forward. But that's not really what I'm seeing with these second half Royals. In- instead, what's going on with the second half Royals is the guys that we have been waiting on for several years through the farm system and have been expecting to be major league regular players, that's just what they're doing. Like MJ Melendez, okay? MJ Melendez, we, we on this podcast, I have absolutely freaking railed MJ Melendez and his poor performance this season. Okay, since the All-Star break, he's hitting 310. I, I can't believe it. MJ Melendez is hitting 310 since the All-Star break. Now, do I expect him to keep doing that? No, not necessarily. But I would at least buy into a an MJ Melendez breakout much more than I would buy into a Ryan O'Hearn breakout. Even if there is another Ryan O'Hearn breakout happening in Baltimore. Whatever, don't, don't think about it too much. Don't worry about it. But Michael Massey is another guy. Michael Massey was the worst hitter in, in baseball in April. And it, like I don't even think it was close. He had a negative weighted runs created plus. I don't know how you get a negative weighted runs created plus, but he found a way. 
He hit 167 with a 173 on base and a 179 slugging percentage. He struck out almost 40% of the time in April. Negative 15 weighted runs created plus. Since May 1st, this is 254 plate appearances. He's hit 249 with a 313 on base and a 430 and a 436 slugging percentage. Now you might be thinking, um, that's not very good. Exactly. It's a 102 weighted runs created plus. It's not that good. But this is one of the core pieces in our lineup right now. This is not a weird, bizarre, crazy standout performance. This is just a guy doing what we expected him to. We thought Michael Massey would just be a a decent, regular, average bat. And then he plays plus defense at second base. That's fine. He can be a two-war player by doing that. That's what he's doing right now. Michael Massey has basically been a two-war player because he pulled himself out of the negative war on baseball reference. I think he was all the way at negative one uh, after April. So he's really pulled himself out of it. And not by doing anything you know, supernatural. Just by being him. He's being Kenuff. That was a stupid joke. I'm sorry. Um, and, and, and it doesn't even... <laughs> and despite the team playing better, there are some other guys that haven't been as great as we expected them to. Since the break, Michael Garcia has been hitting 297, which is awesome. Except actually, he has a 318 on base and a 381 slugging, which is not particularly great. So uh, it only comes down to an 86 wage runs created plus. That's pretty significantly below average. And he's playing third base, which is uh, you know supposed to be in a more offense-heavy position. And the Royals really don't want to move Bobby Witt Jr. off of shortstop because shortstop is a more marketable position. But at the very least, it's not an unusable bat. And he still finds ways to be productive as a hitter. But this is kind of what I mean. Like, the Royals are having a, 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 a much better second half despite Michael Garcia not hitting all that well. You know, this is why I mentioned those players from the past season. Ryan O'Hearn, Heath Fillmeyer. Uh, Whit Merrifield, whatever, Nicky Lopez, because you think of those guys, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. but you can see, yeah, you know, probably wasn't much there, probably wasn't, you know, anything to actually build around right there, but then you think of what's going on with these guys, you've got young players that you've been hearing about throughout, throughout the minor leagues as being good players, you've always been hearing, like, oh, these are going to be, like, good MLB players someday, and then they're just kind of doing their thing in the majors. Like, if... If the best players on the team, if the, if the real standout performers on the team in the second half were guys like Dyron Blanco, um, random pitcher, who can I think of? Let's let, Honestly, let's just go with Taylor Earn. What might as well. Freddie Fermin, even. Freddie Fermin, you know, Freddie Fermin has been a, a very, you know, solid force in this lineup. Freddie Fermin has been fantastic this season. He's been a nice big surprise. But if he was, like, the best hitter on this lineup, in the second half, you know, if he was like Ryan O'Hearn levels in 2018, then I would actually probably take this a little bit less seriously and say, okay, yeah, you know, second half Royals are, you know, they're back. They're doing their thing. But Freddie Fermini isn't even the best hitter in this lineup. It's Bobby Wood Jr. Bobby Wood Jr. has been the one doing most of the heavy lifting. And the thing is, that's fine because that's what we expect from Bobby Wood Jr. Bobby Wood Jr. has gone absolutely sicko mode. Um, he is, he, he, he's here. It's happening. We've been told since 2019, this guy is going to be an insane player and it's happening. 
Since the break, Bobby Wood Jr. has been hitting 325 with a 362 on base and a 634 slugging percentage. You remember in 2020 when Salvi, you know, he didn't get to play a whole lot because of the weird eye stuff he had going on, but when he did, he just he he just hit the the absolute crap out of the ball. He hit 333 and still hit like 10 or so home runs despite playing fewer than 40 games. He had a slugging percentage of 633 that season. Bobby Wood Jr. is matching that, basically. He's only walking 4.6% of the time, which is, you know, about in line with where he is as a hitter in general, but only striking out 13.8% of the time. He is a 168 weighted runs created plus. He has three triples, nine home runs. He has seven doubles. What was it? Eight doubles. I meant maybe it was red, but he has more home runs than doubles. And this is in 130 plate appearances. He also has seven stolen bases, by the way. He has an isolated power of 309. Isolated power is a number where it kind of takes into account just extra base hits and the kind of extra base hits. So, like, if you're someone who hits a lot of doubles but not a lot of home runs, you're not going to have as as high of an ISO as someone with, like, a lot of home runs, I think. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But let's put it this way. Um, if you have a high ISO... You're probably a pretty good hitter, frankly. So Bobby Witt Jr., his ISO since the break is 309. Uh, let's get a guy who's... Oh, there's exactly one player who has an ISO of 300 throughout this entire season. Not even just since the break, throughout the whole season. You know who that is? Pete Alonso. 296, J.D. Martinez. 294, Luis Robert. Let's put it this way. Uh, instead of listing off more names, I'll tell you the guys who have a, an ISO higher than 300 throughout this entire season. Matt Olson, Shohei Otani. That's the end of the list. That's it. Maybe, maybe probably, okay, this is also qualified hitters. I just remembered Aaron Judge existed, <laughs> but he's been injured, so I Fangraphs didn't really include the, him on the list. But still, point is, Bobby Wood Jr. is him. It's happening. And this isn't some weird aberration because we were literally complaining about this not happening in April 2022. So let's not, you know, say, oh, Bobby Wood Jr., he's going to cool off or something like, no. I mean, okay, he's probably not going to be this good forever. A 168 weighted runs created plus over the entire season while playing plus plus shortstop defense would be, that, that's literally, if it's not MVP level, then it's probably because Shohei Otani had another Shohei Otani season. That's the only thing I can think of. But otherwise, probably would be MVP level. It's actually genuinely insane what Bobby Witt Jr. has been doing. And that's just when you, you, you know, you put it together. When you just watch this guy play baseball, like it, it, it really has been an absolute joy watching Bobby Witt Jr. play some Bobby baseball. The grand slam against Joan Duran, and then he just, <laughs> he absolutely terrified, traumatized the Mariners this week with another grand slam and an inside the park home run <laughs> in the same week, dude. Like, seriously, the things that he is capable of, we have been expecting this. We have been waiting, and, and I know it's irresponsible irresponsible to get expectations up so high which is why 
All throughout last year, I was always saying, if Bobby Wood Jr. is a two-war player, I'll be fine. I'll be satisfied with that. He's just a rookie. He, you know, maybe he'll, maybe someday he'll reach his apex, and that would be cool. But I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, e- even when I was trying to keep my expectations in check, I didn't think he would be, you know, doing stuff like this so early in his second season. You know, like, I think this season, if he was like a three or four war player, that would have been fine. Instead, he's going to be a five or six war player. <laughs> so, awesome. But all this is why I actually think that the second half Royals this time, it actually means something a lot more than it has in past several seasons. And then you've also got Brady Singer, who has been fantastic since May or so. He's been awesome. And he, and, and in a way that he already was, he, he's just doing the same stuff he did last season. It's, it's like, it's like he suddenly remembered, oh yeah, I, I was actually good at one point. I should try doing that again. Maybe it really was the World Baseball Classic that screwed him up. I don't know. And also think about this. Like, who has been really responsible for losing the games on this on this team? Like, why have we lost so much? Usually, relief pitching. That's it. That's usually been the thing. It's usually been the real, it's usually been the bullpen that has been the difference maker in these games. The Royals don't have a good bullpen. In fact, I'd like to argue that the Royals don't have a bullpen at all. I at first I was saying our bullpen is Carlos Hernandez and then seven other guys. I don't even know if we have Carlos Hernandez anymore. I think that umpire on in the Boston series broke Carlos Hernandez because ever since then he's been freaking terrible. It's like, it's like he got that, he got that, uh, uh, you know, he had to give up that walk, that false walk. And then he's just, he just retired on the spot. He's like, Hey, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> Screw this game, man. He just threw the rest of the season and not in the, you know, pitcher kind of throw. So yeah, the bullpen sucks. And then you got, you know, Jordan Lyles. He's been pretty bad. Who cares? Jordan Lyles. He's going to be gone after next season no matter what. In fact, maybe he'll be gone after this season. I don't know. Who else is in the bullpen? Jackson Kowar? Tucker Davidson? Uh, Nick Whitgren? He already left. James MacArthur? Jonathan Heasley? Don't worry about these guys. These guys suck. They're gonna. They're probably going to be off the season. They're gonna, probably going to be off the roster after this season anyway. These are non-factors. These are guys that you can just throw out and say, okay, we don't. We don't need these guys anymore. They're going to get replaced one way or another. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the replacements will also suck. But it's not like in 2021 where Whit Merrifield had another All-Star season and Nicky Lopez put up a six-four season and Salvi hit 48 home runs and the Royals are like, oh wow, we're good now. We're going to build around this. No, you build around the young guys. You build around the uh, the low to mid twenties guys who are who are actually hitting well that you've had in your system and you've been developing for several years. I don't think the Royals are having this crazy fluky second half like they you know sort of had in past seasons. I, if anything, I feel like this is simply expectations being met or or some kind of correction that's being that's happening. Because again, this is the team that we expected going into the season. We thought. Okay, this lineup's going to be freaking awesome, but man, that pitching is going to be super scary. And not in the good way. Scary for us to watch. Well, right now, we have a good lineup and really scary pitching. <laughs> Let me give you some more offensive numbers. So, um, I, I posted this on the 16th. So, it may, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit outdated. But I posted some interesting little fan graphs uh, sleuthing. Since July 21st. The Royals have led the American League in war for position players. 
yeah, they've the position players have accumulated the most war, which doesn't necessarily mean that they have the best lineup, but it does at least mean they're, you know, doing a lot of things right. They're hitting pretty well and also fielding really well, which Jake Eisenberg actually mentioned. Um, I think he like he mentioned that in the first half, the Royals had like the second lowest outs above average. They were well into the negatives. And then since the break, they've been positive in the outs above average, which is one of the best in baseball. I don't have the exact thing on hand right now, but I just remember him saying that. So you got a lineup that's actually hitting pretty well and also fielding pretty well. It's accumulating some war, which is a good thing in general. I would say it's better to have more war than uh, not in baseball, that is. Also, since July 21st, Royals are sixth in MLB in strikeout percentage in a good way. They have the sixth lowest strikeout percentage as a team. They also have an extremely low walk percentage, but hey, at least not striking out a whole lot. They have the sixth highest ISO, the sixth highest isolated power. So thanks, Bobby Wood Jr. And also as a team, they have the sixth highest weighted runs created plus. And again, sixth in baseball. I'm not talking just the American League anymore. And they've also been the second uh, most uh, valuable team on defense, according to fan graphs, once again. And if you think that, you know, this is some kind of convenient cutoff, like, oh, I I placed the cutoff when they started the win streak. No, actually, it was uh, when they lost six of seven before that streak. So actually, when the Yankees series started, that's when I'm that's when I placed the cutoff. That's how good the Royals have been since then. So not just when they started winning. So, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, the Royals are absolutely crushing. They're killing it. They're, they're, they're putting up a fight against good teams, good pitchers. Am I going to give you numbers as to what the pitching staff has been doing? No. Because those are guys that you shouldn't be thinking about over the next couple of years at the very least. Those are guys that, pro- that are mostly going to be replaced next season, most likely. So, if we lived in a perfect world... We'd live in a world where John Sherman actually opens the checkbook next season and gets this team some frickin' pitching, because that would be pretty cool. And he'd probably get a lot of stuff done, unfortunately. Um, we might not live in that world. But that is something I want to talk about a lot, stuff that the Royals should do this offseason. And um, that not only includes buying some new players, but also extending some guys that we already have. So I'll talk about that in a minute, but first I've got to add something to the show. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience. So like I said, if we live in a perfect world, the Royals this offseason spend some money on pitching, which I want to believe is possible And I'd like to go a little bit more in detail about that because I think that there are some guys that they actually could get. They maybe have a chance at getting. I will say, just right off the bat, this free free agency is going to be really weird. This is going to be a very, very strange winter throughout baseball because free agency this season is Shohei Otani and um, a bunch of like mid-tier players. If, if 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 any in that at all, it's like it. There's a like there's Shohei Otani who is like I don't know what's the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa or whatever. There's that, and then you've got like a couple of players who would be like the tallest building in Kansas City, and then a bunch of players that are like like a regular size apartment complex or something. It is a bizarre free agent season. Whether or not that will actually be good for the Royals, I'm not entirely sure. It definitely will involve a lot of overspending on teams for uh, some assets that they think they need. 
I don't know. It's going to be really weird. And that's especially the case for uh, free agent pitching because we everyone was thinking that Aaron Nola were go- and Julio Rivas were going to be, you know, headliners for this upcoming winter. And they have not had good seasons this season. So who knows what kind of deals they're even going to command. Really tough to say. But I'd still like to hope that ownership can do something about, you know, the dearth of pitching that we have, especially if there are discussions of trading Brady Singer. Like, that's been something that's really been picking up, which is mostly something that Royals fans want because, you know, trading Brady Singer would get a lot of prospect value back. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't really disagree with that, but it it is kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if we trade Brady Singer, then what do we do next season? <laughs> like, who do we have in our in our rotation? I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense because you can't go into 2024 actually expecting to compete. And, I, and I'm not doing that. I'm not actually expecting to do that. It's just everything's weird right now, I guess. But there is absolutely one thing that I think the Royals do have the power to do and they should do it. And if they do do it, it would mean a whole lot and it'd probably boost the morale of this fan base quite a lot. And that's extending Bobby Witt Jr., If ownership really wants to do something for the fans, if, you know, they've got the vote on the stadium next April or so, if they want public support, which they know that they don't have right now, they need to extend Bobby Wood Jr. if nothing else. And this is especially true. This is like quintuply true if they're serious about trading Salvador Perez, which I've already said, I think it's like a 60-40 chance that they trade Salvador Perez, which is it probably means even it's probably an even greater chance when I now that when I put it that way because the Royals went from literally zero percent we will never ever trade Salvador Perez do not ask us ever again to oh yeah we almost traded Salvador Perez by the way in just a few months really and for as much as you know we can criticize Salvi as a player for you know not being the best player I suppose being a very expensive player on this roster, um, maybe being an expendable piece on this roster. There is still that sentimental attachment that myself and a lot of other people in this city have to Salvi, where if you remove that, that is going to be a, 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 a death blow to people in this city, to people who actually still care about the Royals, at least somewhat. Like, ownership would literally be like, hey, guys, we want to build a new stadium for the Royals. Don't you love the Royals? Even though we literally just traded your favorite player and you don't have anybody to replace that right now. It's like, oh, okay, great. And because another thing that I one thing I really do not like about trading Salvi is that if they trade. okay, this might not make a lot of sense. Logically, this is one of those emotional appeals in baseball. But I personally think that when a guy stays with the franchise for, you know, a long time, really it really means something to people. And I don't I don't have anything to really prove this. This is I don't know. This is this is just a theory that I have. But I feel like teams that really teams that don't have that kind of franchise player, they don't buy into their team. Their fans don't buy into them all that much or as much. Does that make sense? Like the Rays, for example. Now the Rays, I'm not I'm not trying to say the Rays have bad fans or anything, but and, and 
this isn't the only reason why they don't pack the stadium every single day. Rays have a lot of issues. But it really hurt that franchise when they traded Evan Longoria. They put their stake in the ground and said, this is our franchise guy. This is the, the, the one player who is going to define the Tampa Bay Rays. And then after like 10 years, they traded him. And that really sucked for people. And while it is nice that the Rays are competitive, they're a good team every season, it's also a team that just constantly changes. Like, you root for the team, but who do you root for as players? Who are the players that you actually, you know, stand by and say, like, all right, th this is our guy? I think Cleveland's another example. Cleveland, you know, people wonder, like, oh, this team's pretty good every single year. Why isn't this stadium packed every single season? Because... They don't have a guy that they can really rally around and say, all right, this this is going to be our guy. Because even if they do think that, they just know at some point he's probably going to leave for another team at some point. Corey Kluber was like their multi-time Cy Young winner. He was a star over there. And then he got traded. And that sucked for them. And sure, Cleveland, they still have good players over there. But it's like, how long will they actually be there? I just feel like it's harder for fans to attach themselves to a team if they can't attach themselves to the player, because if they know that the player's just going to get traded, it's like, well, why even bother getting attached? They're just going to leave at some point. And that's kind of why I think trading Salvi is going to hurt the Royals more than a lot of people think. Because, sure, we have Bobby Wood Jr. right now, and Bobby Wood Jr. is freaking awesome. But it's all, it, like, we're already taught, like, already as fans, we're thinking, what if we trade Bobby Wood Jr.? Wow, we could get some crazy prospect value for him, couldn't we? If Salvi gets traded, it's not enough for Bobby to just be on this roster and to, you know, keep playing in Kansas City for a few years. We all remember how Carlos Beltran went. It's like, well, you know, why support the Royals? Why support these players when we all know how this ends? It's it's happened so many times. You know, it... it Carlos Beltran, he got traded, and that trade went nowhere. Zach Greinke literally stormed out of here, although at least that ended up helping us. Something negative happens, and then everybody just kind of sticks with that. They're just waiting for that next negative thing to happen. If they trade Salvi, then people are going to think, all right, well, Bobby's great, but he's going to get traded someday. So, and that, and that, that really adds to the fan apathy that is occurring in Kansas City right now, where you hear lots of Chiefs fans in particular go, oh, well, screw the Royals. They want a new stadium. I'm not paying for it. They can go to Nashville. I don't care. If they trade Salvi, that's just going to increase. Where they're like, okay, well, they traded Salvi. They said they would never trade Salvi, and then they did. So why even, you know, root for Bobby Wood Jr.? They're just going to trade him for probably some nothing prospects because this front office sucks ass. You know, all, all this stuff. And that's not necessarily me saying that or anything. I But I, I am saying that there are people who will be thinking that. And the people who do think that. All this put together is why, if nothing else, the Royals need to extend Bobby Witt Jr. And I'm with Royals Farm uh, on Twitter. If you're not following Royals Farm on Twitter, you're missing out. Royals Farm is fantastic. Where they said, like, because some people were like, oh, let's, yeah, we can give him like a seven-year deal. But Royals Farm is like, why would Bobby Wood Jr. accept a seven-year extension? Like, like, why would he like kind of go like, I don't know, halfway and just accept an extension that buys out a couple of free agent years? I mean, he's at, at, the, at this rate, he's going to be a free agent at what, 28, 27? Like, do you, you have any idea how valuable that is? That would be just, that would be dumb of him to accept a an extension for just a couple extra years. If the Royals are going to extend Bobby Wood Jr., they need to make a 
slam dunk extension. Stumbled on my words right there. Had a little pause. They need to go all in. They need to put their stake in the ground. They need to like do what they did with Mahomes. All right. When Mahomes showed up, he won the he won a Super Bowl. The Chiefs were just like, okay, we're gonna give this guy as much money as we feel like because he's our guy. This is what we've decided. We are sticking with this guy through thick and thin. That's what the Royals need to do. They don't have a World Series with Bobby Wood Jr., but they still need to make him their version of Mahomes. They need to give him a super massive, practically lifelong contract. I came up with, I put in some really simple numbers. I did 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 times 7. That's 13 years, $315 million for a Bobby Witt Jr. extension starting next season. And even then, I feel like I'm I'm like low on the money based on how good this guy can actually play based on how well he has played over the last couple of months. And sure, I guess that seems scary, but if the Royals want people to buy into what they're doing, they need to do that. They need to do something bold. They need to stop pussyfooting around. They need to be like, all right, we have a plan. We have a vision for the future. And you know what? Even if it doesn't work out, we've got this one player. Okay? We might we might not have anything right now, but we've at least got a guy who we think is going to be on the cover of the show in a year or two. We've got a guy who is going to be one of the definitive talents of this sport moving forward. They just need to do that. It might seem crazy, and you know what? We can argue about it in 10 years if it doesn't work out. But at the very least, right now, I really personally think the Royals should do this. I think a lot of people think the Royals should do this. I think a lot of people would be really happy if, even if they traded Salvador Perez... Like, you know, they do that, but then they're like, hey, guys, we've got a 13-year deal for Bobby Witt Jr. right here. Like, this is what I said, like, with Scott Barlow. It's like, okay, you messed up a lot, but you can correct this by making things better for the future, by learning from your mistakes. The Royals thought they would rebuild with Salvador Perez. It's not working, so they trade him away to get value from him. You know, they, they messed up there, but they can make it right with Bobby Witt Jr., they can say, okay, guys, we promise this time we're not doing anything with Bob Wood Jr. He's staying a Royal forever. This is the new guy. We messed up with Salvi, but now we've got Bobby Baseball. And I, and I think that this would be a positive thing for the club in general. I think this would improve perception of the club, not just from fans, but from other players, frankly. Like, I... I actually think that if they extend Bob Wood Jr., that can open up the, the floodgates for maybe other extensions for guys on this roster. I think that right now, you know, if they extend Bob Wood Jr. like that, they could easily get a Michael Massey extension. I would do that. Like I would I would extend Michael Massey for and, and it doesn't have to be crazy or anything, but he's still like a pre arbitration player. You could extend him for six years, forty million. Easy. Easy, dude. I have some other really simple numbers I wrote down. 1.5, 3, 4.5, 6, 7.5, 8.5, 9.5. And then an option at the end with a 500,000 buyout. Six years, 41 million for Michael Massey. Someone that you probably think is going to be maybe a, a round league average bat with plus defense at second. Yeah, that, that that's fine. Why not? Take that. Easy. You know why? Because players like it when they've got other players on the roster. Everyone always like asks, like, oh, how how do the Braves have such crazy team-friendly deals on all, on all these insanely good players? It's simple. They're, the Braves are really good, <laughs> and they have such a strong core 
I'd be jumping up and down if I got a if I got a, a contract offer from the Braves. I don't I like why would like okay, maybe it's half the value that I'm actually worth. What's more important, making as much money as possible or winning more baseball games? I think a Bobby extension can say to other players on this team, okay, we're not just expendable parts. We actually can be, you know, rewarded for playing well. And there's some sort of vision for the future. It could even say to other free agents, like, okay, the Royals, you know, they haven't looked good record-wise last several seasons. But hey, they've got this super good player that they're building around. This could be interesting. Maybe I'll join in. I don't know. This is all crazy talk. It's Again, I have nothing, like, logical to back this up with. It's just kind of random emotional appeals, I suppose. So, sure, the more statistical people around baseball are probably thinking, like, okay, that was the dumbest shit I ever heard. In fact, I don't know. Maybe the people who aren't so uh, um, uh, logic-based within uh, the sport are... are, are me, me, pff, what am I even saying at this point? Maybe everybody in general is like, okay, uh, Lux is crazy, but uh, I just, I just, I, I get bad vibes from extending Salvi, and I get really good vibes, or not extending Salvi, trading Salvi, and I get really good vibes from uh, keeping Bobby around. So the Royals should uh, do everything that I say because um, I am uh, the best. <laughs> I don't know, I'm losing it at this point. All right, let's uh, let's just move on to the immediate future, the one that we already know is going to happen. The Royals are going to play a three-game series against the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are really interesting. They looked pretty good, like, at the beginning of the season, and then they just totally fell apart around May and June or so, and then went, like, 10 or 11 games below 500. And, they, and then they've had several really big winning streaks. They've had, like, multiple five. They, they won, like, they had, like, a, a, a 10 of 11 stretch. At one point, they had like a seven-game winning streak at another point. So right now, they're 62-58, and 58, second place in the National League Central, only a couple of games behind the Brewers. And uh, they've got a pretty good offense. By Wade Runs Created Plus, they've got a 105, which is ninth in baseball. And then their pitching has a team ERA of 4.20. Nice. It actually is pretty nice. It's 16th in all of baseball. They've got some. They've got some guys, and I and I think they were a, the team that I went into this season thinking that they were going to be weirdly good. If that made sense, because it's like it doesn't seem like there's anything cohesive on the roster, but they just kind of threw a bunch of guys together that are like kind of good. Like I don't love the Dansby Swanson contract, but at least he'll be good for a couple more years, I think. Um, and they've got they've got some other guys. Marcus Stroman is is a guy I've always liked as a pitcher. Um, I know he's kind of controversial, but I, I, I enjoy him. And also, uh, most notably, they signed Cody Bellinger to a one-year deal. Cody Bellinger, the 2019 MVP, who had the weirdest fall-off that I think baseball has ever seen. He became, like, the worst player in the game a couple years ago and uh, just was never the same, basically, after that season. Uh, but now he's uh, hitting a lot better. He's hitting 327. <laughs> this season he's not even he's not like hitting for power although he he has almost 20 home runs already i thought he didn't wasn't hitting for power i remember someone saying he wasn't hitting for power he hasn't yeah whatever i don't know i mean he's not like back back but he's at least reestablished himself as a good player and he's still only 27 so that's a that was that's a banger pickup by the cubs right there anyway yeah they're 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 an interesting team they are very like 
weird and misshapen, but they're kind of getting stuff done. They could be a playoff team this season. I don't know. Very interesting, but very fun in a way. And we're going to play this series in Wrigley, which is always fun. Uh, so, the Cubs on Friday, they are going to send out Jameson Tyone at us. He's a 31-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 5.71 ERA in 21 starts, 104 innings this season, which is really not good because he just signed a four-year deal with them last winter. So, as uh, for $68 million. Yeah, um, what's, I'm not entirely sure what the issue is. Um, aside, well, okay, I know what the issue is, I think. His peripherals have always been fine, but never, like, great, and they just got kind of worse this season. He, The one thing he always did do really well is that he limited walks really well. He, he did not give up a lot of walks. This season, he's giving up almost three per nine, uh, so basically one every third inning, and he's not striking out a whole lot of guys, but he never really has, and he's also getting hit around a lot more than usual. He throws a four-seam and a curveball and an occasional changeup for lefties. The four-seam in particular gets hit pretty hard, so look out for that. And then you got a sweeper-sinker for righties. Opponents are hitting 333 versus the sinker. So everyone in the lineup gets to have some fun. And he's also got a cutter for both sides, which is actually a pretty decent pitch, seems like. But, you know, numbers kind of speak for themselves. Not a good season so far. We'll see how it goes. Meanwhile, the Royals are going to send out their most interesting pitcher, Cole Reagans. 25-year-old lefty with a 4.02 ERA in 47 innings, four starts in particular. That's the most notable thing because those four starts are his entire tenor with the Royals so far. In his four starts with KC, he has a 1.99 ERA. He has struck out 27 batters and only walked eight in 22.2 innings pitch. I say only eight. That's actually not a crazy good number. It was until his last start where he walked four guys. Uh, his last start, he went five innings, gave up four runs, although only earned three of them, walked four, struck out five. It was kind of a, a reality check, I think, because right before then, he struck out 12 or, or 11 in six innings. Just had this, just, in, just this disgusting game. And, I was actually disappointed that I didn't do the podcast for that week because, although maybe it's a good thing because I was literally like jumping up and down with joy at like the prospect of Cole Reagans being like a really good pitcher. I do think that he's going to be a guy that we can say is a starting pitcher in the rotation going into next season. Not as in like, okay, well, we'll just kind of take anything we get. No, like this is a competent starting pitcher on the rotation. I'm not saying that for guys like Alec Marsh, who, you know, we have wanted to be starting pitchers, but have not been pitching very well. So that's kind of been an issue. They could be. Would be nice if they were, but I'm not penciling them in the in the rotation for a opening day right away. We'll just have to see. So really looking forward to seeing Cole Reagans because he has been very fun to watch with the Royals. Even with that, you know, poor showing, poor-ish showing against Boston. On Saturday... The Cubs are going to send out Justin Steele, 28-year-old left-hander. He was their fifth-round pick all the way back in the 2014 draft. He didn't debut until 2021, so evidently he was a high school guy that uh, developed kind of late. And he uh, also missed some uh, considerable time in 2022 for some kind of injury, it looks like. So he has uh, really taken a while to get going in the majors, but... 
the wait has been worth it, it seems, because he has a 2.79 ERA in 22 starts, 126 innings pitched. He is currently leading all of baseball in wins and ERA+. plus. So this is a Cy Young contender right here. This could be the Cy Young front runner for the National League. Yeah. Just kind of out of nowhere, frankly. It's only his third season in the majors. <laughs> he throws a, and, and, and get this, he does this with a 92 mile an hour four seamer with below average movement and a 83 mile an hour slider. Those are his only two pitches. This is a two pitch guy. <laughs> He does have a sinker, changeup, and curveball, according to Savant, but they account for just 3.4% of all of his other pitches. So, yeah. Interesting guy. Not sure what to make of all of that, but those are the numbers. The Royals are going to send out their two-pitch guy, Brady Singer. Or is he a two-pitch guy after all? Maybe he's a three-pitch guy now. I think he is. 4.91 ERA in 24 starts, 135.2 innings pitched, but... 3.44 ERA in his last 14 starts, 3.23 FIP, which is even better, and that's thanks to just 21 walks and five home runs in, uh, I don't know how many innings that is, but, you know, 14 starts, so long period of time right there. His last start in particular, he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. He overall went 7.1 innings pitch, two hits, two earned runs, although they were Runners that he left on base, and then Angel Zerpa let them score, so they weren't even entirely his fault. And one walk, eight strikeouts. Brady Singer has been shoving the second half of the season. We've been waiting for it. We love to see it. Hope he can keep it going. And on Sunday, the Cubs are going to bring out Kyle Hendricks, their 33-year-old veteran right-hander. He's been on the team since 2014. Small anecdote, I have been to Wrigley Field one time. It was in 2018. Kyle Hendricks pitched this game. He had he he had five no hit innings, but also walked like four guys or something. It was like it was a weird like like eventually someone got a hit, and I had to tell people like, by the way, that was a no hitter, and they were like, oh really? Like I was telling my dad who was uh with me at the time, so that was kind of funny. Uh, they played the Nationals. They uh and so I got to see Juan Soto get picked off at first base for the first time in his career, and it was I believe. One day before David Bodie hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and two strikes, and the Cubs were losing three to nothing. If you look at like David Bodie grand slam, that's the one I'm talking about. That was like the day after I visited Wrigley Field. So very, <laughs> very uh, funny stuff, I guess. Anyway. Kyle Hendricks is in the last year of his four-year extension with the team. He does have a vesting option, but I don't think he's going to get it. He's only got 92 innings this season, but a four ERA and a uh, very low strikeout rate, 5.9, but a 1.6 walks per nine. He's actually the active career leader in walks per nine. He only walks, He's only walked two batters per nine innings in his entire career. Pretty good. So that's the key to his success. He throws a changeup and a sinker. The opponents, uh, guys don't really hit the changeup really well, but they can hit the sinker. It's thrown to a lot righties a lot more, though, and uh, we don't have the best righties in this lineup. We have more, more lefty-heavy lineup, so we'll see how this goes. And then, of course, he got a four-seamer. Uh, opponents have a 383 batting average against it. 
So that's interesting. And he also has a very rare curveball that he can occasionally throw. Royals are going to send out Jordan Lyles, their 32-year-old right-handed pitcher, 6.3 ERA, the most earned runs and losses in baseball, and also the most home runs allowed in the American League. Great job, Jordan Lyles. You know, this guy really is, like, one of the most amusing pitchers in baseball because I feel like you never really know what you're going to get at any point. It's easy to say that you're going to get a bad start from Jordan Lyles, but then every now and then he will go, like, eight innings and only give up, like, four runs or maybe five, I don't know, which, you know, won't be a great start, but it's like, I don't know, he did something, I guess. That's cool. But but I, I think I said something. Oh, yeah, like, his last start, I'm like, oh, boy, Jordan Lyles is really eating these innings. He's had, he had, like, three scoreless innings. And I'm like, yeah, oh, man, Jordan Lyles is going to devour those innings. And then literally next inning, he gives up four home runs. <laughs> or something stupid. He he went five innings pitched, six earned runs, four home runs in one start. And the best part about this is he didn't even get the game loss. He, I love this, dude. Like, you, you got to admit... There is something really funny about Jordan Lyles. There's just something that is delightfully chaotic in a way that maybe at the, in the moment I don't appreciate, but looking back on it, I'm like, man, this guy's funny. <laughs> this, this, this is one hell of a dude. So that's gonna that's all the pitching matchups. That's the matchup in general against the Royals and the Cubs. I think that it's going to be a fun weekend i'm looking forward to I, i'm looking forward to watching the royals play baseball can you believe it i get to say that now i get to actually enjoy things now i'm not just doing this podcast because you know i feel like doing the podcast i do it because i actually like watching the royals yay i don't even care that they're three and nine in their last 12 they're still playing decent baseball go hit some guys around and then you know get no hit by justin Steele. that's fine whatever I won't, I won't complain too much as long as Brady Singer does something nice. Good things happen with this team. That's what I love to see. That's what we all love to see. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, long episode today, I know, but yeah, had to make up for it for losing like a week of stuff. So hope you don't mind. In fact, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, would love it if you left a review, a rating, and subscribed to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And also, you can shout me out at Twitter, at Royal Deluxe Pod, or at the MFNKC. That's my more personal account. Maybe I should post more of my desk-building endeavors over there. And further inquiries can be sent to royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. But if you don't do any of that, well, no hard feelings. I love you all the same. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day. And I hope you're having a good one. I hope you have a good weekend. I'll uh, hopefully see you on Monday. And until then, I've been Lux, and... Oh, I want to watch the play baseball! Yeah!